This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey everybody, Rebecca here. Melissa and I are so excited to share this bonus episode with you. We sat down to discuss the mega massive four-part Beverly Hills reunion with two podcasters who are perfectly equipped to handle this kind of conversation. They are Lauren and Cash, and their podcast is called Allegedly Bravo. Cash is a practicing attorney, Lauren is about to become one, and they tackle the seemingly endless legal battles that our favorite housewives face. Please enjoy this conversation we had with them, breaking down all four parts of the Beverly Hills reunion, and they took on our lingering remaining questions. You can find them on Instagram at Allegedly Bravo. That is the name of their podcast. We highly recommend you subscribe, follow, listen, and they also have a website, allegedlybravo.com. Thank you so much, and we hope you enjoy this bonus episode. Don't forget to follow us as well at Criminality Show across social media platforms, including YouTube, where you can also watch this here interview. Enjoy. to this special conversation we're having on criminality with the hosts extraordinaire, uh, plural, of Allegedly Bravo. We're talking to Cash and Lauren. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And Melissa, hi. Hi, how are you? Yeah, we're so excited. This idea transpired because we're all sort of podcast Instagram friends and the Beverly Hills reunion four-parter just finished. I feel like we're all in some maybe version of withdrawal. So I thought it might be nice to round it out with a little debrief. And you guys both bring legal expertise. So this is ideal because we've seen four hours, four plus hours of this conversation. And yet here we are still with questions. So this is really exciting. Um, Cash and Lauren, could you just maybe tell us about your podcast and also how you two came together? Sure. So, hey, everybody. My name is Cash. I am an attorney here in California. I've been licensed for almost four years now. Lauren and I actually met in law school. It was the deli. Is that what it was when we met? Yeah, the deli. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We had a bodega that was attached to our law school and I was ordering food and we just started chatting. And then we had a couple of classes together and became best friends ever since. Took the bar together. Lauren's actually waiting for her bar results. She gets them next Friday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's exciting and scary. Very scary. And so we obviously bonded over our love for the legal field, but also our love for Bravo. And we are diehard Bravo holics. Like I Mm -hmm. am a OG of the OC. Like I remember watching (laughs) that back in the day. And so we were chatting over you know, we would have these like long in-depth conversations about housewives. And then we're like, why? I mean, it's somewhat delusional thought. Like, why don't we record this and put it on the internet and see if people listen? And <laughs> here we are. We did. Aww. We listened. That's so fun. I love your meeting story. Melissa and I met at Crime Con, which is also cool, but maybe not as cool. That's, no, that's yeah. still cool. That's way cooler. I mean, there were no meatballs there. <laughs> So I feel like we're missing out. <laughs> we need to add a food element. How long have you guys known each other? <laughs> Feels Just a like a lot years, longer right? because 2020 Almost. was like the second year of us knowing each other. So I feel like we met in 2019 and right. we bonded over true crime. Melissa has a, a really great podcast called Moms and Murder. She was one of the OG podcasters in true crime since 2017. Mm-hmm. She co-hosts that with Mandy. And uh, I had them on my show, which started in 2019 called Dialogue. And we just remained in touch. And then Melissa had the idea for criminality. Well, I should let you tell it, Melissa. What was your thinking around criminality? Oh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. No, I just wanted to do something lighter. We talk about murder yeah. all the dang time, and it gets to be a little much some days. And I love Bravo. Same idea. I was an OG OC. I remember seeing Slade Smiley with the, you know, cool, cool. 
whatever it was called on his face and Joe, and that was on the soup. And I remember hearing Joel McHale talk about it. And I was like, what is this show? And that's how I started watching. And then you just, one turns into another. And I knew Rebecca really liked uh, Bravo and like had Sonia Morgan sightings. So like, who else would you have on with you? It's perfect. And the more we get into it, the more crimes we find out are reality adjacent. Like our list, I kept getting a little nervous when we started. I'm like, we're going to run out of things. And now I'm like, we we need a daily podcast. We cannot <laughs> keep it's up with all true. of this content. No, they're just going to keep breaking mm-hmm. laws. Yeah. I Do you guys feel like that it. too? Were you worried there wouldn't like, well, we have enough to fill all this like hours of content. And yet I'm sure, especially with the year we've had, you guys are like just breaking down trials and cases like all the time. Yeah. Like at first I thought, oh no, we might run out of topics. You know, did we just get, you know, kind of blessed that we have two (laughs) major things happening at once, but you know, it's like Melissa said, there's people breaking the law every single day and like a huge history of them breaking the law. That's like, you know, it's fun to talk about and it's fun to learn. And so that people don't make these mistakes. Yeah. And if they do, you know, we're okay with that. Yeah. I was like, I was going to say, I think our housewives are going to continue to make this, these mistakes and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. I hope we all learn like for our own selves. I was saying to Melissa in the last episode, it wasn't about the housewives, but it was like, this is a good lesson in reading contracts before you sign them. Like those are some really real life applications that we yes. can all um, take to heart. Okay, well, let's get into this four-part reunion that we all just finished. Do we all want to go around and, and like, do you feel satisfied? Did you think it four parts was enough, too much? Like, what is everybody's feeling? Why don't we start with cash and go around this grid? You know, this might be surprising, but I'm so glad it's over. Oh, yeah. After watching the fourth episode, my anger towards Erica was at an all-time high. I find her to be unbearable at times. She's performative. She's an actress. She's been hanging out with Lisa Rinna too much. I need her off my screen, but I also want her on my screen because it gives us content. But I, I was very frustrated and I was just over it. And I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion, but it was, it was, I don't think it so. was drawn out and we were giving her too much time to talk and her story just kept changing. And it just, I don't know. I, and I watched it with my boyfriend and my boyfriend was even like gasping and just yelling, liar, liar, <laughs> the TV. He gets the MVP award, man. My husband can't tolerate like five minutes. Lauren, what did you think? I felt really not. Yeah, I was left a little unsatisfied, but the my, I think I did have my most favorite part of really the whole season was the evolution of Erica Jane's accent. It's like, she, where did it come from? Where did it go? Where's it going to come from next? Like, where it is it was, going next? Yeah. Yeah. And there was one accent that she did that I was obsessed with where she was really acting like a granny. And I was like, it's really hard to take her seriously too. When she's like putting on these accents and all of a sudden she's wearing fruity pink dresses and a cross necklace. And I was just like, get the cross off your neck. I'm sorry, but it's like weird. <laughs> Borderline offensive. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like she's going into different characters. It's yes. so weird. It's manic. Melissa. It's manic. Yeah. A little bit. Right. Yeah. What do you think? So remember we used to have two part reunions and then all of a sudden we all decided three parts would be okay. And no one asked our permission for four. This should have been three at most giving us the fourth one. You knew we were going to have a total filler one, which was really the third one. I thought it was, I enjoyed hearing a little about Kathy and Kyle, but I don't need to see them crying. Mm -hmm. We have bigger things, bigger fish to fry. This is just not working for me, but it was, it was sweet, but no, this is too much for us to take in to really, like you were saying, Cash, she just talked, uh, Erica just talked and talked and talked and talked. And she mm-hmm. was able to, because they edited all this together and, you know, gave her this whole huge platform. And while she said she did answer all the questions, did she really, she, she had answers, but I don't think she answered them. She acknowledged they were being asked, but she would just 
go into tirade. She seemed like somebody from like the 1920s with a long cigarette, just, you know, taking a drag and stuff when she would really go into one of her characters or accents, like you were saying. That is so true. You know, it just seemed like you weren't whatever. And she's like, how was that supposed to be? You know, like she knew the camera was going to come in tight and like had prepared. It was so weird. I agree. I think three Mm -hmm. and four could have been combined into a strong third finish. Um, loved the Kyle and Kathy. I know oh, that's not what we're going to talk about, but since you brought it love, up, love, I love. actually really, really enjoyed the, the genuine emotion from Kathy kind of like got me. I enjoy like unexpected real emotion on these shows, which I know is, is unpopular. Um, so I kind of loved that, but um, I, I'm wondering if it's okay if I could just ask my big one question because it's an overall one and then we'll get into more like a breakdown, but it's kind of dovetailing with what Melissa brought up. And So our question, and Melissa and I talked a bit about this yesterday for Lauren and Cash for you both is, do you think what made her whole narrative so convoluted and manic, as you said, Cash, and and confusing to us as the viewer, even though she was constantly answering questions, we constantly felt like we didn't understand. Do you think it's because she had to play it both ways? Like if Tom did it in case he did and in case he didn't. And therefore she didn't take a clear line of like a definitive, I believe him, he didn't, or he's the worst. He didn't do this. Do you think that's part of the complication? And does that question make sense? Yes. yes. And <laughs> I don't answer the, the second part. Why <laughs> it's so complicated. and so convoluted is because she's not telling the truth. And I do agree with what you said that she may be trying to protect herself and protect Tom at the same time. And that's where there's this blurred line. I don't know if Erica's ever been honest with us ever, even from the moment she stepped on our screen. Um, I don't think we know who the true Erica Jane is because I do believe that her relationship with Tom was unhealthy probably at times. There was that huge age difference. I mean, we've seen Tom on screen and he is very controlling and he has that, I don't know what the best word is to describe, like a tr- old school traditional marriage. But now I think she's going into he's just trying to stay face and he doesn't want to be attached to Tom, but she's also trying at the same time to look like she was a devoted wife to him. But I think the water is very muddy and I just don't know if she can come out alive because the stories are just like her son going to pick up Tom and the snow. It's just insane. Yeah. Well, didn't, was it one of the later episodes that she was just like, I can't, I guess because of her son and the difficulty with yeah. the fourth one. It was in the fourth one. She well, was he like, doesn't want to talk about it because it's a lie. Can't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because she can't remember. Yeah. Well, she, because she there's there's no winning. There's that's no totally. Yeah, there's I think no that's way so to win that and to close the gap on that is too big. So I think she's like, oh, I can't speak on that. Like of all the things not to speak mm-hmm. on, that's weird. But I think mm-hmm. Lauren's right though is she shuts down certain questions because she can't come up with an answer and she doesn't remember what she said and. Yeah, it's just a way to protect herself. And I think, I think it's giving her too much credit to, to say she's playing both sides. I think like every time she was asked a question, her her first response was never an answer. It was, well, how do you think Mm -hmm. I should feel? Well, what, what do you think I should have done? And it's like, so you want everybody else to fill in the narrative for you because why? Because you can't remember because you're making it up as you go, you know? Yep. Um, you have her head rolled down. <laughs> Amazing. That was absolutely incredible. Thank it was you. like you were channeling her. Well, one thing I noticed, um, in three and four, the ones that I were really look was really looking at were whenever Andy would ask her something that would be a yes or no question, she would never say yes or no. She would say, she would have a whole sentence where, what was it? I can't remember the specific one right now, but he would say, so what you're saying is no. Mm -hmm. And she still wouldn't say no. She would say this other carefully worded thing where you're like, hold on. It would be very easy to say no in this situation. I think it was, did you know about this? And she said, I, did you know about the Girardi keys, you know, Mm -hmm. financial problems? Mm -hmm. I don't there. You did have a credit card. But is that a no? Well, Mm -hmm. I, Right. But it would just be like, he set her up. I thought his questions Mm -hmm. to her were kind in comparison, Mm -hmm. but his Mm follow-up I thought was really crappy because he, he only knew those questions. And then he was just kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll step back and hope that the girls go after her. And they did. 
they were scared. And I don't yeah. blame them. Wait, she that was everyone. a big conversation too, was like, had this been on another franchise? I mean, she got a cakewalk considering what she could have been up against. Can you imagine her face-to-face with Candace? Ooh. <laughs> I would like to see her Twitter. With Lauren that, said Candace, that if really. she was in Potomac, <laughs> she would not have survived. She would have quit. I will say the one thing Erica said that I agree with was that everyone is so precious in Beverly Hills. And I think that works for the whole cast like there is this like kind of kitty glove sort of ooh, we don't want to look to this or that and there's this self-awareness and fear that kind of diminishes what could and maybe should I think Sutton tried and look what happened to her you know so I think the rest of them were just like yeah I'm not going to do that at least not directly yeah I think it's optics like they don't want to have those conversations because they're so aware of their social media presence, who they are on TV, like their yeah. reality star presence, you know, and they have to maintain this image. And I don't think they want to muddy the waters with Erica and ask those tough questions. And I think that Erica's a bully. I really do. I think she's really, really, really mean to people and she lashes out at people and that's a defense mechanism and it, to shut people down so they don't ask her questions. And I applaud Sutton for asking those questions. I wished that she, because the, the amended complaint that was filed by Girardi Keese's trustees about the bankruptcy was, I think it happened before the reunion. And we were hoping that Sutton was going to read through that complaint and come at, oh. come to the reunion with questions because they detailed the whole $25 million spending. Oh, can you say more about that? So that hmm. transpired between the airing of the season and the reunion? It did. And so- Er, um, I was called Lauren Erica. Lauren and I did a really in-depth. <laughs> Thank <Lauren>. you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> you just have to change your personality and your inflection right. in your voice. At least a hundred yeah, times. Least times. <laughs> yeah. And so the amended complaint breaks down this, this whole EJ global, this business that she was running, how they alleged that it was like this personal interest account and it was a shell company. It wasn't a real business and what it was being used was used for was to funnel money from Girardi Keese into EJ Global so that Erica had money to spend. And so it was like this fraudulent tax scheme. And so she spent, I think, what was it? $14 million Lauren, on her American Express. And then over 12 years, over 12. Yeah. That's $2 million you guys a year. It's what we're yeah. all that was spending. an amazing reality check, right? <laughs> when she was like, same as any woman here. And I was like, well, maybe probably except for Kathy Hilton, but dang, can you imagine like your budget being no. a couple million a year over, you know, mm-hmm. a decade? That's like reasonable. <laughs> yeah. That's super amazing. reasonable. And so this, <laughs> it, it's difficult for us to believe. Of course, this is information that's alleged in the amended complaint. We haven't received or sure. seen her response, you know, and it'll be interesting to see if she does get deposed. But my understanding is that these credit cards, this American Express bill was directly linked to Girardi Key. So I'm assuming it had Tom's name on it, the business's name, because I'm assuming it was a business credit card. And, you know, she signed certain tax information, credit card slips. So I think it's going to be a hard one for her to escape from. Oh my gosh. That's really good info. Okay. So piggybacking on the Sutton question for episode one, the question I wrote down for you both is Andy actually addresses the, uh, the women of the cast and says, you know, Sutton got a lawyer or talked to a lawyer. Who else talked to a lawyer? And they all admit they talked to a lawyer. Your opinion, is that overkill? Is that being like a little hypervigilant? Or do you think that was a really reasonable reaction? I, I would love to know, would you advise that in a situation? If, you know, Melissa got accused of something egregious, should I speak to an attorney? Yeah, <laughs> you well, don't know I coming? would. I mean, I would do exactly what Sutton did. And I have to say, I'm super lucky that my best, friend is an attorney. So I get to call her all the time and be like, you know, and me too. Well, I'm, I have to pass my bar, but you know, it's thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Fingers crossed. (laughs) And I I would have done the same thing. You got it. Yeah. I I would have done the same thing. And I think Erica's giving it too much weight. She's like, what you're scared of me. Like, it's like, no, I think a lot of them just had simple questions and they wanted to Mm -hmm. understand, like, because I mean, a lot of them didn't even read the whole article. And so I think a lot Mm -hmm. of them took that article to an attorney or a friend and said, Hey, look, can you break this down for me? And at the end said, should I be worried? I I think that was the extent of the conversations. I mean, Sutton may have gone into more detail, but I think Sutton did that for a reason, because I think at one point she offered Erica money 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know who knows. She may have set, lent her money and they're right. just not talking about it, but I don't think it's that crazy. Right. I agree. Also, you know, do you know the in-depth long articles we all four read for our podcast episodes to be so closely connected to Erica and not be able to get through that article is very bizarre to me. Like Kyle could not read that article. She could not read it. If it was life. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. So interesting. And then from episode two, Andy asks, it was a lot about the marriage. So I feel like it's a little bit less related. I feel like three and four, where we get into a little bit more of like the meat of the legal issues. However, this did this did trigger a question for me when Andy says, were you faithful to him? She says, yes, until we were, you know, until I filed. And my question to you both is, would that matter? So they're in a non-prenup marriage. Mm-hmm. There's no prenuptial agreement. If she cheated on him or if there were affairs, would that matter in terms of any of these legal proceedings and her no. you know, responsibility or not? No. Right. Okay. California is a no-fault state. Which means that you, if you cheat, it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't in some States, if you cheat, you don't get anything out of the divorce or it's like automatic grounds for divorce. But in California, no one has to do anything to get divorced. You can just stop liking each other. Okay. I think now that you're saying that I've heard that before because of all the reality TV we watch and cover, but does it mean anything in terms of her assuming the burden and the debt? Like if she doesn't walk away with a certain pre-agreed to amount of assets, let's pretend none of this stuff ever happened. Would she also assume, would she then be free of assuming any burden of debt? No, her cheating. If either one of them cheated because there's no prenup, especially there's no, unless they had some other intermarital agreement, like maybe a post-nup, which I haven't heard anything about that. So I don't think that they have that unless they had some other serious agreement about the cheating. It should have no bearing on what she can, or I don't think, I don't think there's anything to get. Like I don't with her assets and stuff, you know, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. And in California, it's a community property state. And so whatever Mm -hmm. you acquire during the marriage debts or assets, you both take on that burden. And so your husband, you're married and your husband racks up a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt and you're unaware of it. And then you go to get divorced. Guess what? You're on the hook for 50% of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why a lot of people were asking the question. I think it was on the fourth episode where Andy asked, well, why do you have to pay? And I don't think Erica really answered. And then Dorit's like, well, because they're married and it's, Yes, because they're married, but also because Erica was using a company credit card to pay for her lifestyle. So mm-hmm. the two-parter. A, yes, a two-parter indeed. So my question here, and maybe we've kind of answered it, but it's why would Erica's money be kept at the law firm? Like when she claimed she didn't get her checks and they were all turned over, like that's not normal, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> and in California, you have certain obligations as a licensed attorney and how you handle your money. You have to have a trust account and then a separate account that you pay your payroll out of and business expensive out of. And the trust account is where all of your clients' money goes. And so it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make you sense. Cannot yeah, you can't it. co-mingle the funds. You'll get in trouble. And especially because it, it's we're not talking about Tom Girardi being a solo practitioner, meaning he owns his own firm. That's it. This is a massive plaintiff's law firm in the state of California where there were, I want to say a hundred attorneys, like it was a very large firm. And so there are partners, there are managing partners, there are equity partners, like there are a lot of people involved in this. So it's, it's hard for me to understand how nobody saw this or nobody challenged it if they did. But I mean, we're talking other people's livelihoods that are on the line. This isn't just Tom's livelihood like Mm -hmm. this. I mean, the, the company and the business, the law firm has completely dissolved. So all Mm -hmm. of those people have had to go find new jobs. You know, there are equity partners that have lost all of their money in this firm. And so it's not, that's why it's so hard for me to understand that 
but maybe it was so big that it was easy for him to funnel this money and give her a credit card or, you know, open multiple credit cards. I think part of it was also that I, I can't remember who said it, but Tom was the sole accountant for that whole entire firm. From what I understood, like he managed all the trust accounts, all the bills and everything. And that is ridiculous. I'm sorry, but Mm -hmm. that is, if I found out that my attorney didn't have an accountant, I would immediately get a new attorney. It's just way too much money on the line. And, And like Cash said, livelihoods, not just for people's jobs, but he, he literally stole money from people who needed skin grafts and, and now they can't get it. And Erica's just sitting there like acting as though she was robbed and it's no, you're not robbed when the clothes you are wearing came from money from someone who experienced something so tragic and terrible and they need it. You don't need it. I have a question for the both of you just from like a non-legal perspective, how would you have responded if you were in Erica's position and you found out that there were victims of his conduct? It wasn't just a victimless. It was technically, it's not a crime, but victimless crime. How would you have reacted? I mean, I was thinking about this earlier, actually. Really, my whole thing would be, I would want to do like charity things to try and raise money for these people. I would do whatever I could because sure, I didn't know what was going on, but my gosh, the guilt I would feel knowing that I had participated, not knowing, you know, what had happened, but I had taken their money and, and flaunted it in the way that she did. I would want to do anything I could to help, even though legally all she has to do or what she says she has to do is turn over her bank stuff. I would want to show them, I I would just want to do something for me, for me to show that I cared, that I wanted to, I would be living in a tiny apartment. I wouldn't, any extra money I could get, I would want to give to a foundation in their name, something. I don't know. It just the idea the condescending, like, well, should the Mm -hmm. secretaries not have their money? Should this person not have that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was where I was like, come on, though, but you were married to him and you had this business, you know, you had a credit card through Mm -hmm. there. Yours is a different situation. You're saying you didn't work there, right? So either you work there or you didn't work there. So saying secretaries Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, that's different. You're the wife of this guy. I would just do whatever I could to try to make it right, even though I'd never Mm -hmm. be able to do enough, you know, but her attitude just it makes me yeah, all kinds same. of angry. You said it perfectly. <laughs> I would do the same thing. And I would also honestly like to think I would have some kind of reckoning of self, some crisis of conscience and say, you know, in discovering this information, I would come out really publicly with a statement like, you know, this has forced me to examine my life and my lifestyle and what the, the message I've put out. And I am, you know, horrified and ashamed, even though I'm not responsible in any way, I am, I'm going to be quiet for a little bit and get my hands dirty and figure out how to help in the best way. And the, one of the last things she said in episode four was something to that effect of like the best way I can help those people is by cooperating and, you know, going through this legal process. I mean, lack of compassion still, but that could have been like the very first thing she said, like, please understand me participating and answering is helping all the victims in this story. And also I would make a very big point to say, like, I don't believe I am a victim, even though, you know, I I would just be really clear, like, and if I am one, it's on a different level, like it's a different story and scenario than the people whose lives were really uh, impacted by this. So yeah, just a real different approach, I think. And I might hide from social media. I might just Mm -hmm. really become very like under the radar if I could. So as attorneys though, what do you, what what is what we're doing versus what she's doing? What would you advise? What in the middle? I'm sure there's a middle there. Well, I would first, if she were my client and it was even just in the, the disillusion, this is already like a high profile marriage and a high profile divorce, just base level with the first claim. And then we find out all about the stealing and all that. And I would tell my client, like, listen, every thing that you are doing is being scrutinized and the other side, Tom's attorneys are looking at everything. Um, I worked in family law for a couple of years and I cannot tell you how many times I have so many burner Instagrams and Facebooks and all that for 
screenshotting and recording things that people have done just on Instagram and Facebook. This woman's on TV. This woman has millions of followers and she's posting pictures of her butt. And if I were the attorney on Tom's side, just even in the divorce, I would be like, she doesn't need any money from me. She doesn't need any spousal support. She's clearly making money. Um, I would just have told my client, you know, get off social media. It's got to be a low profile. I wouldn't recommend doing the show, but I guess you're going to do what you're going to do because you're crazy and need the money, I guess. Yeah. Like you need to just chill, be careful. I was just going to echo that a little bit. I would everything in my being advise my client to not do the television (laughs) show, to not talk about this with anybody to not send any text messages. Don't put anything in writing that can be used against you in court, because like Lauren said, not only is the world watching with a microscope and judging you, but other attorneys are, you know, she hasn't been charged with anything criminally, but I would be fearful, you know, Mm -hmm. with alleged embezzlement taking place that, you know, criminal charges are in the near future. And so I would strongly, strongly, strongly advise my client not to step foot on television and not make a statement and to, you know, take a step back from social media. And if they want to be present on social media, make sure that it is not tone deaf. Applebee's is not telling you to do some of these things she's doing. Like if they're (laughs) who's paying, yeah, Applebee's, they're not going to do that. Right. Like these people aren't saying, you know, we need you to pose this way. We need right. you to have this as your caption, well, like, hashtag ad, hashtag, you know, appetizers or whatever. But this is a whole different, it's like, no, you want to put brand. this stuff. You want to be controversial. You want to, but your brand is not going to do so well. Mm-hmm. It, it That's where it blows my mind. We're just having the knowledge of what mm-hmm. other people have gone through, these real, real victims. And okay, she's not a victim, whatever she says, but it it doesn't it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right seeing that at all she's attempting to play the long game in that she's like he's done he's 80 he's in at home I'm 50 this can't like take me down forever and so she's doing these ads while she can while she's got the body and like what little cash she has like she is trying to preserve her relevance in media and it's disgusting it's appalling I might have to disagree like I do respect her, I actually had a moment of respect for her when she said that, like, look, I have to survive. Like I need to make money. And that's interesting. And it's like, I get that. I understand that you make money, but again, don't be tone deaf in the way that you want to make money. Like work with brands then that optically look better for you on social media. Like we don't need to see your legs that are eight feet long using a, a camera lens and you're in a tiny lingerie and you have a hashtag that's like team Erica, you know, or that's yeah. the thing is like, she's doubling down on her yes. attitude and her disregard for the victim's feelings. I think if she didn't play that card and she was simply promoting like bad fit fun boxes on Instagram, no one would care. Like people would have respect, yes. like, okay, we understand you have to make money. Right. Get it. She needs a crisis PR team. I mean, absolutely. And I appreciate the distinction. I completely agree with you, Cash. Um, it isn't that I begrudge her having to provide for herself. It's that I interpret it almost mm-hmm. as like, I, and I want to do it on television and for, you know, uh, and as an influencer above any other yep. like respectable yeah. employment. And that kind of just struck me the wrong way. And also before we go into episodes three and four, I know this is going to age myself, but um, when Kathy Lee Gifford and her husband, Frank, you guys might not even know who that is. Cause oh, we do maybe a lot younger than me. Okay. I do totally they had do. some scandal like a long, <laughs> long time ago with their clothing brand where they found out like children were basically making the clothes what? and they, yeah, their factory was in another country and they sold clothes at Walmart or Kmart or whatever. And they went down there on the plane. Do you remember this? And their response was to like throw American dollars at like the people of this little village. So that's another response that also looks really insane and tacky and wrong, but you understand the spirit behind it. Like Mm -hmm. what Melissa described as her reaction is sort of the verbal of throwing dollars at Uh people. Like they were just so mortified that they wanted to physically Mm -hmm. go fly there and hand them money and be like, we're so sorry. And we're fixing Mm -hmm. it. And that Mm -hmm. it did like backfire on them, but it is that idea of like, how can I 
show, you know, how much I want to help and, and stop the damage from moving forward. So I just, that just popped in my mind. I'll never forget those images. They're like throwing 20. I think people, sadly, I think people would have more respect for Erica if she was handing out $20 bills to victims. I agree. (laughs) I agree that I would much prefer to have. No, I'm not that far off. (laughs) Um, Okay. Melissa, let's get into episodes three and four. Cause I feel like there was a lot of good stuff in those to sink our teeth into. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So we kind of already talked about my first question on three, which was the social media. Like, what would you advise really what they're saying? So I just had this quote that I picked out and this was one of those times where I just, I don't know. I just want to see your thoughts on this. So whenever she says this whole, this whole tirade, she says, we're a long way from finding out what really happened here. I loved my husband. I thought he was great. Now he's allegedly defrauding widows, orphans, and burn victims. How the F do you think I feel? And then, you know, that's whenever she does that hor- mm. that thing. And he goes, well, how do you feel? And she says, horrible. And saying, you know, hey, she's like, I've said that before. And he said, actually, you haven't. You know, that's been the whole disconnect, right? The whole thing, like, if she was the victim in the, truly a victim in this and saying, oh my gosh, how did this happen? I had no idea. This is terrible. You know, what can we do? And you see her like Jen Shaw meeting with her attorney. I want to hire Kim Kardashian, but you see her meeting with them saying, what can we do? Like what, how can I help? I think that would give a lot of, you know, credence. Would it, would attorneys, how about this is my question. Would attorneys uh, ever want to be on TV for this sort of thing with her to say, Hey, this is, I think n- not a lot of attorneys, but, but I, yeah. you know, you always see like, especially in like the real housewives of orange County, they love to have their divorce attorneys on there or go sit in a meeting with them. And so I think there's definitely like a bit of that, that would happen if this was like just a low level basic. I mean, I hate to even call it divorce, a low level, basic thing, but you know, like compared to all this fraud and all this stealing, you know, I wouldn't want a camera in my office with something this intense. Like it's not something you can just kind of chat about, you know, spousal support. Yeah. It's not like Gina from the OC getting her DUI and meeting with her attorney about her probation. This is a complex bankruptcy. It's a, it's a complex divorce. Like I said, there's the possibility maybe that criminal charges may arise later on in the future. We don't know, but I would never sit down. I mean, that's just personally, I would never sit down with a client with a camera in front of me because one, it doesn't look great. And two, you waive your attorney client privilege. Anything you're saying on camera is now public knowledge Mm -hmm. and it's not protected by the privilege. And so if you're going to have a conversation, it has to be very limited, I guess, on camera, because you don't want to say anything that can be then used against you in court. Yeah. You wave your, but so much, (laughs) you guys are awesome. This is amazing. So say Melissa was my client, you hold the privilege. And so if you said, Hey, I want to have a camera come in and record our conversation. Now you're waving that privilege because there's a third party that's present. Does that mean anything else that you say with this case that you and I would be working on? Does that mean there's no longer attorney client privilege or just Generally, one just thing the conversation? Yeah. The attorney client privilege relationship continues, okay. but whenever you have somebody else present, you know, it's you're, you're waiving that privilege because now this other person's privy to the conversation. So what about her whole appearance across seasons? Because allegedly we have to talk about how great your show title oh. is. Um, <laughs> allegedly, the feds are like looking for the raw footage of this whole season to see everything Erica did and, and bought. And is that true? And and what is where does that fall under? I don't think it's the feds. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know, though, because I, I know that there's rumors out there that somebody had subpoenaed the footage. <laughs> Thank you for fact checking me. <laughs> Because, well, we talk about this all the time on our podcast. It's, there is a difference between what Jen Shaw is going through and what Erica Jane is going through. Like Jen Shaw is being prosecuted criminally and will go to prison. Like there it's very, when you have federal prosecutors involved in your case, like it is very unlikely that you are going to get off. Very, very unlikely. And so in this case, we're dealing with a bankruptcy, civil proceedings, divorce, and so I think it's the trustees that have 
requested the documents. Lauren, do you know? Um, yes, I believe it is the trustees. And they, from what I understand, they subpoenaed all of the footage, just like you had said. Um, and what I think that they're doing with that is, well, she, you know, she said little things about Tom called her and all this stuff. I don't know if it's necessarily all of that or if it's they're having someone in their office go through and watching all the footage and being like, okay, well, that's a $100,000 ring. And that bag is $98,000 and, and counting all the money that they can recoup, especially because she was selling at the beginning of this, she opened like that French Poshmark shop and started selling all of those Mm -hmm. clothes. And so it's like, okay, well, you can't just be moving all of this money away because they're trying to get it back. So I would, I would imagine they're going through and seeing what, what she's wearing and what's in the background. Maybe like, you know, she got that Chagall painting for randomly, like, was it even her birthday? It was a couple of years ago. Do you think it's a coincidence that a large item was a gift? Oh yeah. Lauren. Exactly. That's the other thing. Um, I wanted to talk about actually is when you're in a marriage in California and you're receiving or giving gifts like cash that it's community property state. So everything's assumed to be shared between the community of spouses. But if you're getting a gift from your spouse, that's your separate property. Mm -hmm. And so that stays yours and they can't take it back. It's yours. It doesn't belong to the community anymore. So one of the things that people are kind of thinking is that one way to move a lot of money is Tom gifting in these generous gifts in their marriage, um, a million dollar painting, a giant hundred thousand dollar ring. And so he's transferring this money in a way that nobody can take it back from her. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. Wow. Allegedly. <laughs> yes. So we're saying that Rick Hilton owns those sweaters. <laughs> Kathy cannot. Can well, if, if, it's bought, back, if it's right? bought with community property, she can. But if she gifted well, those, she gifted She gifted them. Oh, okay. Those are his. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah. just looking out for my boy, Rick. Um, so we heard Sutton talk in the fourth episode about somebody leaving over the shady, allegedly shady business dealings. Right. And there's like this article that's about, was it a son-in-law of, of Tom's you guys know about that? Yeah. I heard about that. It was, um, I don't, I believe his daughter's husband and I cannot recall his name. I feel like it's Mr. Lara or something. L-A-R-A. Um, I think so. And just from what I heard, he did leave the firm, but something I find weird is in some of the documents that we've been reviewing, there's a lot of fee sharing agreements and I've seen him listed in it and receiving his share of like the fee splitting is his wife, the daughter Mm -hmm. of Tom. So it's interesting to me that you have an improper fee splitting agreement, first of all, between non-attorneys and clients. Um, and then there's this daughter involved and the daughter, both of these wives are receiving money outside of, you know, appropriate ways. And I wonder if he quit because he knew what was coming for him and it's better to get out, you know, and of course, I wonder all speculation. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But there was the thing Lauren is talking about. There was this settlement between, was it a father daughter that won the lottery that mm-hmm. the father had won the lottery and they had gotten into a dispute of separating the funds, whatever. And so they settled the case and the attorney's fees that were being distributed as a term of that settlement were being distributed to Tom's daughter and Erica Jane into an account. And I mean, you guys, I've only been an attorney for four years, but I have never heard of that. Whoa. You're not allowed Whoa. to do that. So I just took the bar exam. Yeah. <laughs> there was a question on there. You yes, cannot. Can't do it. Attorneys can't share money with non-attorneys for their work. Outside of work, whatever yeah. you want to do with your money is your money. But I th- no. I think it was, right. I mean, of course, in the scheme of $25 million that it was a nominal amount of like $250,000. And that money I think is just sitting in an account that has been frozen by the mm-hmm. bankruptcy court. 
I love that true crime okay. and Bravo enthusiasts might have a shot at like 20% of the bar exam being I right know. answers just from our, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just from our, our <laughs> podcast consumption yeah. or whatever. Oh my it's gosh, so it's nuts. Okay. My next question is legally speaking, would the phrase I'm coming for you be considered slang <laughs> in a court That's of law? Funny. Cash, you should answer this. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't really talked about, so as an, I used to be a prosecutor and I was a prosecutor for about a, almost two years. And so I'm coming for you. It's like, is that criminally a threat? Was there an imminent harm being conveyed to Sutton? I, I don't know. Um, I'm coming for you as a vague term. It could be interpreted multiple ways, but I think as viewers, I think we all knew what she was saying and she was threatening her. Like, I'm going to make your life a living hell. I don't, I do not believe Erica's, I do not believe Erica's, um, what did she say? Was it in the fourth part where she was like, oh no, I was just saying, what did she say? She was like, um, every year, you know, you never know when it's your year that bad things are going to happen to you. So when it's your year, it's such BS like, and that's the thing, like she has had time to watch the episodes and come up with a narrative to every single contentious point in the episode where she knows she's going to get drilled by Andy. Like she has come up with a response and it's so fake. Oh, She's been right. hanging out with Lisa Rinna too much, you guys. Yeah. Oh. Too much. Lisa was insufferable on oh, all totally. four parts. She's insufferable as a human being. She is. Okay. My last question really is in the fourth episode, she talks about, she couldn't tell this whole story, right? They talk about the wreck, the infamous wreck. And she says, well, I couldn't tell you all of that until Tom's counsel said he was incompetent. Once he was incompetent, she said, I could come out with the whole story. Why, how, <laughs> who, what, where, when, why, how, why, why did that matter at all? That once they said he was incompetent, she could finally say, well, he actually, you know, rolled down the hill or there was snowing in Pasadena, all those things. Why is that when we heard the whole thing besides just the anchor? I think like, <laughs> if I could just put it simply, I think she's just kind of making a mountain out of a molehill. She's lying. Okay. She's yeah. trying to convolute the stories to confuse okay. people. And she's mm-hmm. trying to come up with excuses as to the reason why she didn't, she's trying to validate her lies, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I hear that and I'm like, oh, well, maybe the council did say, you know, don't say anything until, and now he's, you know, declared incompetent. Go ahead. Tell your but story. It doesn't, it didn't make, it doesn't sense make sense to, me. So to me because it's been a couple years since exactly. the whole accident had happened. So it, it right. makes me, my first thought is, oh, you couldn't tell your friends that your husband had a head injury for three years until he was deemed incompetent. Are you playing a long game? Yeah. That was my first thought. But we have to remember that this conservatorship and this competency hearing did not start until February of 21. You know, this story of the crash wow. happened three years ago. And actually, you know, Lauren and I did obtain some records from the Pasadena Police Department mm. um, about, about the accident, about, about the accident. <laughs> Exclusive. Exclusive. Um, <laughs> it wasn't about the accident. It was about the burglary, but we had put in a request for documents related to the accident and there's zilch. So we are going mm-hmm. to do it. We are going to continue with our investigation. We are going to continue to ask for these yeah. documents because there's no way if she called the police department that an audio log does not exist for a call for service. And interestingly, I found in the fourth episode, she said, you know, oh, well, isn't there a police report? Well, they can't find one. And I found that weird because she was kind of right. We went looking and we went asking. It's her not saying no again. She didn't say no. Yeah. Yeah. And just so for, so just for some background on how police reports work. So you can call 911 for an incident, say there's a fire or say there's, it's a non-criminal act, right? Or there, a crime didn't take place. The police are still going to respond. They're still going to be called what's a CAD log, which is an audio log of the call for service. So you calling into 911 to dispatch all of the coding schemes and everything that's going on, it's going to be a perfect record of that. And so if an officer responds and he may not have had to write a report, or even if he did write a report, it'd be like one page it exists like officers document when they respond to houses and any 911 call will be recorded. A lot of agencies have purging or retention policies. 
And so the actual physical audio may not exist, but the catalog likely does exist. And we are going to find it, you guys. There you We're gonna have find it. it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Everybody just chiming in here. Make sure you're subscribed and following Allegedly Bravo for their great work on all these cases and the yes. continuing coverage. Um, how likely do you both think it is that criminal charges are coming for, for Tom Girardi and or Erica? I think they are. Um, but just because of what we know with the burn victims not receiving their money and the alleged embezzlement that's happened, you know, it would be difficult for me to believe that they're not going to be bring criminal charges, whether or not that's at a local state level or if it's a federal level, because I don't know if there's potential wire fraud or what, you know, things were happening over state lines. But I would hope that there would be some type of justice brought for these victims, because although it's not, you know, a crime of violence, it's there are victims here. It's a white collar crime and people need to be held accountable. I mean, he's so old. And the incompetency, even if they did bring criminal charges, it's not going to go anywhere because they call it like 1368, right. where somebody's not mentally present and not mentally capable of being a part of the criminal proceedings. So I hope, but it's, I don't know. This oh, is really magical. So I just like fun. keep going. Like I, I love know. talking about this. Obsessed. It's so fun. It's so fun. This well, is we should... amazing. And you, you explained it in a way we can yes. actually understand. You know, I'm only speaking for myself. Rebecca's very smart, but I can actually understand what you're saying. So great. And we should do another after some of the Shaw proceedings. Oh my gosh. I'm going to do my best to attend because that's here in the Southern District of New York. I've been to that courtroom to see Allison Mack get sentenced. So I will surely be there. My heart just skipped a beat. I know. I know. This is like my Christmas present to myself. Oh my (laughs) gosh. You need to be... And your no. husband can never <laughs> exactly, take care of Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I am going to bring my legal pad and I'm going to be sitting in there like a freak. Do you know if they're going to no business being there. Do you know if they're letting people into courts because the COVID, I know they're reducing the amount of they, people that can be present in open court. They are, but um, you just have to line up like a psycho at 5 a.m. like I did for Allison's sentencing. Wow. But maybe I'll fly <laughs> out and join you. That sounds hey, great. Hey, girls trip <laughs> for a bunch of weirdos like us. Um, well, we can't thank you enough for, for joining us and filling in these gaps. It was a lot of fun. And like Melissa said, we learned so much and we appreciate it. Thank you for, thank having, you for having us. us. It was amazing. I you- loved this. Where can we find you guys on social media? When do you put your, we drop our out? episodes on Mondays and you can find us on Instagram at allegedly Bravo. We have a website, www.allegedlybravo.com. Yay. Awesome. Well, thanks again, girls. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. We have to have you guys on our podcast to talk about Jen Shaw. Thank you for listening to Criminality. If you're enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give the show a rating and review. The reality is it would be a crime to keep your thoughts to yourself. And come join the fun outside of the podcast and follow us on social media. We are at Criminality Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Memes are welcome. We'll see you in two weeks with a new episode. Until then, you can catch my co-host Melissa on her weekly show, Moms and Murder. And Rebecca Sebastian on her podcast, Dialogue, a true crime conversation. Don't forget, loving reality isn't a crime.